He is the district executive, um, let's see if I can read my notes, executive minister for Converge Northeast, sorry Brent, and he serves 92 congregations, Manhattan to Maine, Boston to Albany. Let's give Brent a warm welcome. Thank you. It is good to be here with you today. Lori and I are very thankful to be part of your worship this morning. We live up in Southington, and uh, it was an easy drive down here this morning. We moved to Connecticut in 1984 when we started to serve at Walnut Hill Community Church, just up the road up here. Um, I was on staff there when we put the missions consortium together that you all are part of, and we continue to see God do some incredible things through. And then we moved away from here to join a converged church out in Ohio for quite a while. But a few years, we came back to this new role of district executive minister. And so we travel all over the place. We're in different churches every Sunday. And we're just so glad to be in Connecticut this Sunday. This is so, so good to be home and be part of your church family. So I've, I've known Pastor Dave for many years. And it's been a pleasure to get reacquainted with him and Barbara and Dan and Tara and, and your church staff here. Dave and I share a soft spot in our hearts, our wives might say, in our heads for old cars. And so it's been fun to reconnect with him and just see what God continues to do here at Trinity. But, but I appreciate Dave so much, especially because of his commitment to be a pastor who teaches the Word of God. I just appreciate so much as I listen to his sermons that he opens the Bible and he shares truth from God's Word, and he, he never wavers on that. And so it's my privilege to continue the process of your study in the book of Ephesians on this Sunday. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at this passage that uh, is a little longer than what's in your bulletin because they told me to look at verses 15 to 21 today. And uh, as Pastor Dave has been preaching through the book of Ephesians, I know he's probably shared with you that it was written by the Apostle Paul and in about 60 AD, an incredible book that talks about who we are in Christ and how we're to live out our faith. And, and last week, if you were here, he talked about the huge identity shift that takes place when we become Christians, because when we trust in Christ, we exchange our life for His, and His Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, and our lives are never the same, and yet, as God's Holy Spirit lives within us, every day we still have a choice, don't we? To decide whether we're going to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to obey the Spirit, to understand that Jesus Christ gives us direction and guidance in life. And, and basically, Dave said last week that we have to decide whether we're going to live in our strength or His, with His Spirit or us being the ones in control of our lives. And, and he said it's like the difference of either driving a car and just enjoying the power that comes from that, probably a Model T hot rod if I know him, or instead of just pushing that and trying to do that on our own. And, and so over and over again, we need to realize that those are the choices we make. Before we look any further in God's Word today, let's bow our heads and ask Him to guide us, shall we? Father, we just thank You that, that we know that Your Spirit does indwell us as we trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so grateful to know that as we gather in this place, that Your Spirit is here, that He is the one who brings us unity, and He is the one who will give us the wisdom and the insight, not only to learn about this passage of Scripture, but to put it into practice. And so we ask you for that, we pray for that, we thank you for that in Jesus' name, and all in agreement said, amen. amen. Right. Now in chapter 5, last week, Dave started to share with you what it means to be imitators of God. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved in us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice, 
Down in verse 8, he talked about how we're to live then as children of light because we were once in darkness. I mean, we were lost before Jesus found us. We were in darkness before we came into the light. We were dead before we came alive in Christ. And, and all of that theology is really going to roll into some absolute beautiful application today in this next passage because we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, and, and this is what it says. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now just in that passage, as we've seen that on the wall or as you have that in your Bibles or your electronic device in front of you, you'll notice there's some warnings about how we're to live our lives. It says, first of all, we're not to be unwise in this thing called this, this walk that we have. And and basically, as the Apostle Paul says, be careful then how you walk, he, he's not just talking about looking at the steps that we take in the places that we're going, but he's looking about our lives themselves. I mean, it's a metaphor to talk about the fact that as we head a direction, our lives go in the place that our eyes are focused. And as we live out our lives, as we walk through life, we're to apply the wisdom that skillful insight and understanding that only God can give us. And, and he's just basically saying, don't be stupid as you live your lives. I mean, we used to say to our son, Andy, you're being stupid with two O's today, you know, because sometimes we can just make dumb choices and silly decisions, and, and we don't want to make unwise decisions in life. And so there's this warning not to be unwise, but then as we get to verse 16, he says, basically, we don't want to neglect the opportunities that are in this walk of our lives. He says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, the time is obviously the time that we have to walk, right? It's the time that we have in life. It's, it's however many years God decides to give us, whether that be 70 or 80 or 90 or 50 or 40 or 30. That unique difference for us is something that we have to realize that God entrusts to us, God has planned for us, God has ordained for us, and yet we need to realize that as we live out our lives in every day, every 24-hour period, there's, there's an evil entity that is controlling this world system. It doesn't mean that our world isn't beautiful or there aren't great opportunities or there aren't incredible things for us to enjoy in life. It just means that, that the system of this world has corrupted the days that we experience. Now, interestingly enough, as this passage was written in 60 A.D., Paul was saying that this was true in the first century, and this is true in the 21st century also. I mean, I watch the news almost every day. Lori and I get up in the morning, and before we actually open the Bible and have our own devotions, we make coffee and we start to drink that, and we turn on the news for CBS has this little thing called the world in 90 seconds. And so in 90 seconds, we can kind of get a real quick blast of what's happened over the night and into this day. And, and I just want to tell you that because 
almost every day I'm not encouraged by what's taking place in our world. I'm really not. I mean, apart from basketball and hockey right now, the weather's in the news almost every day, the Zika virus is in the news, terror in and from the Middle East in the news, and, and politics, if you haven't noticed, are in the news almost every day, aren't they? And, and most of those things are not encouraging. Most of those things are not exciting for us as believers say, wow, this is just really cool that this is taking place. Look at all of these good things that, that are happening around our world and in our country and in our system. And, and we could focus on that. But you know what this passage says? It says, make the best use of the time. Make the most of every opportunity, could be translated, because these days are evil. Now, knowing that they are, knowing that there are problems around us, there always have been, frankly, there always will be until Jesus comes back someday, we have opportunity to decide how we're going to respond to those things. And some of us discuss them. Some of us gripe about them. Some of us worry about them. Some of us wonder about those things. But you want a great way of putting this verse into practice? Decide that as you talk about these things, you're going to infuse conversation about God in them. Not just with other believers, but with people around you, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, people that are friends with you. Say things like, man, I wonder why the Lord allows these kind of things to happen in our world. I mean, almost every day there's, there's some weather tragedy or, or another shooting in the news. I mean, why does God allow these things to happen? Ask people questions about that. Infuse God into those conversations. Say something like, boy, I'm sure God is ultimately in control of this world because it sure seems out of control right now. Or, or I wonder what God thinks when he looks down and sees the things that are taking place in our world right now and, and who's running for office and what's going on. Now, now all of that is, is part of our witness of Christ. And again, you get the idea that it's easy for us to want to retreat. It's easy for us to want to rebel. It's easy for us to want to say, Lord, we don't know why this is taking place, but we need to make the most of those opportunities and realize that as Christians want to retreat or rebel, we need to engage. And we need to realize that everything that God is doing is an opportunity for us to continue to point people to him. Now, if I'm a little groggy this morning, it's because I flew back from Seattle at 2.30 on Saturday morning. I was out there with a group of people who were assessing church planters for Converge, for guys all over the country. And, and it was interesting because as I flew from Hartford into Denver, I changed planes to go up Seattle, and, and I sat next to a woman from Florida. And so we started talking about Florida and how much we from Connecticut love to go down to Florida in the wintertime and how she was looking forward to seeing Seattle. And I said, as we looked at the plane window, I said, and I just love to stop into Denver. I've only been here a few times, but I just, I love to see those mountains out there. And she said, what mountains? I said, well, the mountains right out there. I said, we don't have mountains like that in Connecticut, and you sure don't have mountains like that in Florida. And she looked out the plane window at the snow-capped mountains, and she said, oh, I thought those, that snow was clouds. She had no frame of reference in ever seeing the Rocky Mountains before of how big they were, how beautiful they were. Or, or she was just simply looking at, at what she knew and seeing something that she couldn't even comprehend and it kind of hit me as I was sitting on the plane the rest of that time, how many times so many of us do the same things. We focus on what we know, and we focus on what we want, and we focus on, on the desires of our heart, and we forget that, that God sometimes does things way out of our boxes, and God is always working, and God is always in control, and, and if we can just use those opportunities, maybe he'll allow us to see some things beyond what we may even be experiencing now. That's why the third warning in this passage is in verse 17. 
Apostle Paul says, hey, don't be unwise, don't neglect the opportunities that are all around us, and therefore, don't miss God's will. He says, therefore, don't be foolish, don't be stupid with two O's, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And it's just a very simple statement because he's been telling us all that through the book of Ephesians, hasn't he? And he says that as he has revealed to us things about our faith and things about life and things about God, that we can know God's will. And then in verse 18, we're going to jump to this fourth warning. He says, try not to do it on your own because you don't have to. He says, make sure that you don't get drunk with wine that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Because think of all the things that you've been learning through the book of Ephesians. I mean, think back in chapter 1 of the spiritual blessings that God has given us. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible that, that God has blessed us from the heavenlies, in the heavenlies, with every spiritual blessing. Everything we need for life is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes known to us the mystery of his will. And in chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but, but he made us alive in Christ. I mean... We were lost, but we're found. We were dead, but we're alive. We were people who were separated from God because of our sin, but by God's grace, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us the gift of eternal life, right? Not of ourselves, not because we're good enough or handsome enough or or rich enough or can do enough good things. He simply decides that through his grace, through faith, we will come to a place where we will accept the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, that's the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. God loved us so much that he came from heaven in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our sins upon himself, just like if you had cancer in your body, and somebody could take that cancer out of your body and literally put it in my body and die in your place physically. That's what Jesus did for us spiritually. He offers us that forgiveness of sin. Because he paid a penalty that you and I could never or would never have to pay on our own. And therefore, he offers eternal life as a free gift to us. He says, simply trust me. Simply believe me. Simply put the weight of your faith, just like you're resting in these chairs this morning, upon me for your eternal life. And God then forgives our sin. And he gives us the opportunity for us to follow him. And he wants to lead us in life. And that's why we talk about Jesus being our savior, our forgiver. And that's why we talk about him being our leader, the Lord of our lives. And over and over again, we see that that those wonderful commands and those wonderful blessings that come from following and from believing are the essence of what the apostle Paul is trying to communicate in Ephesians. So he's saying there's great things for us as believers. So he's saying very clearly, don't don't be unwise, don't neglect opportunities that are around us, don't miss God's will, and realize you don't have to do this on your own because when someone trusts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, immediately, as God forgives our sins and brings us into a relationship, his Holy Spirit comes within us and dwells within us. So therefore, we're not our own anymore. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that, that we're not just individuals, but we are one in Christ, as we sang about this morning. And, and we have the opportunity to live out our lives, as Pastor Dave said last week, in his strength, doing his will, because of his indwelling within us. And so that's why, if you didn't catch these four warnings, let me make it a little easier for you. There's just one command in this passage. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Be filled with the Spirit. Would you say that with me? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this seems very optional to many people, but let me tell you, this is a command that God gives to us. 
Because after he gives us his Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within us, we have the choice of whether obeying him or not, of listening to him or not, of doing what he wants and how he guides and how he directs or, or basically doing our own thing. And let me tell you this, the Holy Spirit is not a liquid, so we're not talking about, you know, kind of filling up to the top of some container. The Holy Spirit is not a power alone. The Holy Spirit is a person. God's revealed himself to us in three persons, but one God, Father, because he's a creator who cares for us, and a father who loves us, as, as the son, because he came in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so we might understand that he's the essence of God and our brother and Christ. And, and then the Holy Spirit, who is equal with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who draws all people to him. And so we're not talking about God indwelling us spatially as much as we're talking about God indwelling us relationally. That he is within us, but it's that relationship that this passage said actually makes us full with the qualities and the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so he's saying that as we trust Christ and, and have this relationship to God with the indwelling of his spirit, that, that there are qualities and powers of who he is that, that come. His presence is with us. His power is with us. His fruit is to be the things that show the world that we are followers of his, and his fullness is there. And so in order for us to understand this, he gives a pretty common illustration of things that, that we may understand more than we might want to even admit to each other. He says, be filled with the Spirit, but before that he says, don't get drunk with wine because that leads to all kinds of junk. I mean, it's just a word that talks about the essence of sensuality or wasteful living or excess. And if you've ever been drunk, you know that you're not in control of yourself. You know that you're not in control of your thoughts completely. You know that you're not in control of your body completely. You know that you're not in control of your actions completely. I'm not going to ask for testimonies about that, but many of us understand there have been times in our lives where that has happened to us. And so for us to realize that Paul says, hey, that kind of stuff can control our lives and our thoughts and our actions, how much better to be controlled by God's Spirit, where he controls our thoughts and our lives and our actions, where, where he fills us with the power of who he is and the presence of who he is. And, and so this shows us that this is not just a person who, who wants to be in control of their own lives. You know, I'm going to do it my way, or, or God is my co-pilot. Somebody said, if God's your co-pilot, you ought to change seats, by the way, because he needs to be the one in control of our lives. This concept, though, is communicated beautifully in another passage of Scripture. Let's, let's put it on the wall. It's Romans 8, verses 9 and 10. It says this, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, it says this, if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, you can't just say, oh, I accept Jesus, but I don't have his Holy Spirit. You can't say, oh, I believe that he's my Savior, but... His presence and his power through his Holy Spirit doesn't dwell within me. I mean, I know some people teach that, but the Bible doesn't. I mean, the Bible says when we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. And, and I realize also that as we talk about this passage today, many Christians have some very unique perspectives about what happens when the Holy Spirit does control and fill a person. I mean, many people have seen and experienced and believe gifts of languages or prayer and unique manifestations of joy or emotion. I'm not here to argue about that with you today. What I'm here to tell you is that, that in contrast 
to the difficult things that can happen in the world, there's one command that God gives us. After we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be filled constantly with the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And, and let me tell you that, that this passage is going to get just a little uncomfortable for some of us here, not just because of the theology, but it's going to tell us three things that really happen in our lives when that takes place. Now, I realize I've given you a list of four, and I've given you one command, and, and I'm going to give you three more things here this morning. But Dave says you are intelligent, incredibly astute people this morning. And so I want you to realize as we're teaching this passage, this may be uncomfortable, but it's one of the most practical, most beautiful passages of Scripture in the Bible because it says that if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the very first thing that's going to happen is there's going to be joy in our lives that sometimes, of all crazy things, shows itself in praise and worship and singing. Look at this. <laughs> Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I take that verse all together because I believe that as Paul is telling us and as God is revealing to us that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells us and wants to fill us. When that happens, we're going to know that that is taking place in our lives. When, when there's joy in our lives, not a sense of dread, not a sense of death, not a sense of guilt, not a sense of foreboding, but there is a sense of joy in our hearts that, that yeah, is going to show itself once in a while by just singing and making melody. I mean, thinking of a song that we learned as a kid in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or we sang in church on Sunday. I've got to tell you, I haven't sung They Will Know We Are Christians by Our Love since the 70s. <laughs> and, and it was really cool to sing that again today because the message is so profound, isn't it? I mean, they'll know we're Christians by the love of Jesus Christ. And, and I will tell you this, that, that songs like that come to my mind and my heart all the time. I, I, I love songs. I, I love music. And yet, I'll tell you this too, that, that sometimes when I get grumpy, I don't want to sing. Um, sometimes I can judge the music in a church that I'm in and say, wow, this is too hard to sing, or I don't like the style of this, or I know that there are Christians that do that in different places in different times. And, and yet, I'm convicted by that when I look at this passage because it's not just saying when we gather together, there should be joy and there should be singing and there should be praise and there should be worship. Brittany saying amen back there. There should be this sense that, that wells up from within us, not just something that happens around us or about us. Now, there's some wonderful truth here because it talks about singing psalms, which is no doubt the psalms of the Old Testament. And the church has done that for generations and generations. It talks about hymns. There are probably praises composed by Christians throughout the years, and there weren't many years when Paul wrote this in 60 AD. But there is also this term called spiritual songs that is really just kind of a general term that, that kind of covers everything. And so, you know what? In God's sovereignty, in God's guidance, in God's Holy Spirit revealing this, I mean, he knew exactly the kind of music that would happen through the generations. And, and people have made big deals about all of these different differentiations. And there have been really good sermons that have been preached about them. I just think that the point of what he's trying to say is that, that there's, there's, there's good old music and there's bad old music. There's, there's good new music and there's bad new music. But 
if they are songs that genuinely express spiritual truth, and if they're composed by people who love the Lord Jesus, and if their songs are taken directly from Scripture, whatever they are, when God's Holy Spirit is filling us, there's going to be joyful songs that, that I know are different for all of us, because all of us aren't musicians, especially we guys are not you know, really into some of the stuff that, that happens maybe musically, that, that happens around us. But, but, but there's just a time whenever God's working in our lives and filling us that we're going to hum a tune or we're going to tap our feet or we're going to clap our hands. Or My dad would sometimes whistle in church because he didn't want to learn the second and third verses of songs. And I just remember that as a kid. I thought of that this week as I was looking at this passage. And, and yet you get the idea, don't you, that, that this is not just something that takes place around us. Somebody says, hey, let's do this together. It's, it's something that God's Holy Spirit does within us. And it may happen at work. It may happen during your devotions. It may happen during a difficult time in your life because the second evidence of God's Holy Spirit filling us besides a sense of just joyful praise and worship that wells up within us, and you can phrase this whatever, however you want to, is, is in verse 20, is that there is a legitimate thankfulness for everything that takes place around us. This is a big one. Look at verse 20. Paul says, giving thanks always for everything, everything, I mean, you could underline that, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know when we pray and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We're not just saying some formula, but we are saying we are coming to you, God, on the authority of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what someone's name brings to us. I come in the authority of Christ, in the name of Christ, who died on the cross for my sins, who gives me access to God the Father. And even in our lives, when God's Holy Spirit fills us, If we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, when we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, let me tell you this, we have this sense of thankfulness no matter what is taking place around us. That can be bad music, that can be bad circumstances, that can be bad people. And there's plenty of those because remember this passage is talking about the fact that we live at a time where the days themselves are evil. The world system is controlled by Satan and And if that's not enough, let me tell you this, we still all have a sin nature within us. There are demonic forces behind so much more than what we realize, and we live again. And I'm not trying just to to focus on what is wrong, but we live in a world that has illness and abuse and sickness and sorrow and sin and death, and yet this passage tells us when God's Holy Spirit is filling us, when he's the one that we're listening to and his voice is the one that controls the guidance of our lives, there's going to be a sense of saying, Lord, I, I don't necessarily like what I'm going through. I don't appreciate sometimes the things that are happening in me or around me or or in my family. But God, you know, I believe that you're still in control. I believe that you are God and I'm not, and I can trust you because somehow you have a plan and you have a purpose that I may not even understand or like or care for, but but I'm going to be thankful and I'm going to rely upon the fact that, that you are in control of my life. Now, right across the page, metaphorically, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, the Apostle Paul says this. We'll put it on the screen. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, because of you all, making my prayer with joy. (laughs) Paul saying to the Philippians, as he writes to them, that every time he thinks of them, he thinks of them with thankfulness and joy. I think that's a huge statement, because you know what? 
There's a lot of people in my life that I'm related to or I've ministered with or I'm friends with that sometimes I say, Lord, I would rather you remove them out of my life than me continue to deal with them. You know, Don't look at anybody if they're here in the church this morning like that. But, but you get the idea. Paul is saying that with the people in life and the circumstances of life, he can be thankful and he can be joyful because he knows that God is in control. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, he says that when I'm filled with the Spirit, there's a sense of, of, of joyfulness that wells up within me and in music. And there's a sense of thankfulness that comes to God the Father in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ for everything. And, and my guess is... You may be thinking of someone or something or, or some circumstance right now that, that maybe you've been able to do that through, or, or maybe even you're struggling to do it right now. The summer that Lori and I moved back here to Connecticut, a special little girl came into our family. Her name is Julia. She's born on July the 13th, and we knew Julia was going to be special because she was diagnosed with Down syndrome long before our daughter gave birth to her. Julia was born in July. She had a heart defect, and as many Downs children do, she was operated on for that heart defect, and she made it through the surgery, and then took a turn for the worst, and she died the next day on December the 11th. And uh, every time I tell people about her or see a little picture of her, I still feel the grief and the sadness and, and the pain that comes from that. In, in being a grandpa that lost a little granddaughter and watching my daughter and son-in-law and our whole family go through that. But, but I've got to tell you that that was an incredible experience in our lives because the doctor who did the surgery on that little girl in Columbus, Ohio, sat down with our kids and he actually cried with them and apologized to them. Doctors don't do that today. He said, there were greater powers at work here than I was ever able to control and our kids gave testimony over and over again to their faith, to countless people. And, and frankly, friends, Lori and I, our family, our kids, we're never going to be the same because of that little girl's involvement in our lives. Because we saw God's image in her. We saw the blessing that every special needs person now has as, as they come into our lives. And let me just tell you this. Life has all kinds of awful stuff for all of us. I mean, I know that. But God is still in control. And when we know that... We can be thankful, and we can find even great joy. There's a little piece that I pulled out here this week that says, uh, I asked God to take away my pride, and God said, no. It is not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said, no. Her spirit was whole. Her body was only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said, no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted. It is earned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said, no, I will give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. He said, I asked God to spare me pain, and God said, no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. Because over and over again, we see that in our lives, God uses circumstances and situations that sometimes we may not choose to bring us closer to him. And so you get the idea when we're filled with the Spirit, there is a joy that comes that wells up within us. And and there is a sense of thankfulness for everything. I mean, everything. Just meditate on that this week. And then finally, and you're probably really not going to like this one, verse 21, there is a reality of mutual submission that comes in the body of Christ. This is what Paul says. And this is part of this passage. 
Let's, let's back up. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. Now, Pastor Dave, I think, is probably going to get a great chance next week to talk about how that specifically shows itself in lots of different relationships. But let me tell you this. In this passage, this is part of being filled with God's Holy Spirit, that there is not hierarchy and there is not control and there is not authority in our individual relationships as brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. Now, there's levels of that in other different relationships. Dave will get into that. But let me tell you this. In Christ, guess what? Men can submit to women and husbands can submit to wives and pastors can submit to parishioners and parents can submit to children. That doesn't mean that that always will happen or always should happen in every circumstance. Don't hear something I'm not saying. But, but in our obedience, when God's Spirit controls us, there is this sense that we want the best for each other. And all of us don't have it all together all the times. And so, therefore, we go into relationships and situations and say, how can I serve you more than how can I get you to do what I want you to do? How can I come alongside you and encourage you more than how can I manipulate you? And you know what? Let me just tell you this. In our obedience, with the control of God's Holy Spirit, we should be people who don't demand our own preferences, but we come open-handed to each other in every relationship we have, in any church, in any situation, and we say, it's our opportunity to love and to serve and to work together, not to demand our own rights or to stand up for our own preferences or even say, because of who I am, you should do this. Now, it's our opportunity as fellow followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to learn that whenever the person of the Holy Spirit indwells us and fills us, that, that there is just this attitude of love that we, again, so beautifully sang about this morning. Let me just tell you this, and I know our time is running out. In churches all over New England right now, we're seeing some of those things happen. I mean, we're learning that it's the person who unites us that is much more important than the peculiarities that we have as different kinds of churches that distinguish us. Get what I'm saying? We're learning that Jesus is more important than the adjectives hanging over our church doors. We're learning that Jesus is more important than the styles of worship we have. We're learning that Jesus is more important than our denominations. We're learning that Jesus is more important than our ethnicities. We're learning that Jesus is more important than you name it. Jesus is more important. And that's, that's why Lori and I have given our lives in this chapter of our lives to serve the churches of Converge around the Northeast here. I mean, we start churches, we strengthen churches, and we send missionaries. That's what we're to do as churches in Converge, as churches that follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, I'd love to come back sometime and tell you more about those details, but we're seeing God start some new churches. I mean, one of my brand new heroes is a guy up in Boston, a Brazilian guy named Marconi Correia, who has come to this part of the country in the last several years, and God bopped him in Boston instead of taking him to Texas where he wanted to go. And you know what he decided to do besides pastor a church? He decided to train pastors. And so he set up this little seminary, this little hole-in-the-wall building in the back streets of Boston, and every year he cranks out about 30 different Portuguese-speaking pastors to plant churches in the city of Boston. I mean, seriously, he is one of my new heroes because he's doing this on a shoestring budget. He's doing this with the exhaustion of him and his wife working day in and day out, pastoring a church in Rockland, Massachusetts, and then working with this group of incredible believers 
that God is using to send out, and we're looking for ways we continue to support him and help him and, and do what God's calling him to do. In strengthening churches, we're learning how to work better together and encourage each other, and we're seeing some great opportunities with that. I'll tell you some of those stories someday. And you know that this church is dedicated to sending missionaries. I mean, you are an exemplary congregation all around Converge because of your commitment to send missionaries. And, and over and over again, we just say this, we're better together because we're always better when we're together in Jesus. When we're focusing on him, when we're serving him, when we're making sure that he is obviously our savior, our forgiver, and the Lord of our lives, it, it is the reality of him living in our lives that gives us the opportunity as your theme this summer is to just be generous, right? But, but let me say this passage could be applied then to be generous in joy, to be generous in thanks, to be generous in submission, and whenever that happens in our lives because of the power of God's Holy Spirit, we may not even recognize ourselves. <laughs> a few months ago, my wife pulled this article out that she found that I think is just a beautiful illustration of this. It's entitled, Missing Woman Unwittingly Joins Search Party Looking for Herself. <laughs> Did you catch that? I know if you've nodded off during the sermon, pay attention now. Missing woman unwittingly joined search party looking for herself. And it says this, a group of tourists spent, this is a true story, a group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman. This took place in Iceland, near Iceland's Eldedja Canyon, only to find her among the search party. It says, the group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus, stopped near the volcanic canyon in the southern highlands Saturday afternoon, reports the Icelandic news organization, whatever it's called, and one of the women on the bus left to change her clothes to freshen up. When she came back, her busmates didn't recognize her because she's wearing different clothes. Soon there was this word of a missing passenger, and the woman didn't recognize the description of herself, and she joined the search. So, this is true. About 50 people searched the terrain by vehicles on foot. The Coast Guard was even readying a helicopter to help. But the search was called off about 3 a.m. because it became clear the missing woman was, in fact, accounted for and searching for herself. Isn't that great? I am here and I found me, might be what she said. And you know what? That's why I pray the Holy Spirit tells us this morning, I'm here but I found him working in me. I found his love and his joy and his thankfulness and his peace and all the fruit of his spirit that wants to flow through me. I mean, maybe the people that you're asking God to remove from your life are the very people that God wants you to share the truth and the love of Jesus with. Maybe as we have opportunity to think of the difficulties of our own lives today, we can still say, Father, I'm thankful because I know you're in control. I trust you. I still find joy in those circumstances. And so, Lord, I submit to you as I submit to others, and I say I'm so thankful that I'm part of a congregation of people who love the Lord Jesus, because in him we truly are better together. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And as you do that, let me just remind you that, that we're really not our own. I mean, you know, the Bible says that we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Therefore, since we've been purchased by his blood, we don't even belong to ourselves. Our lives are not our own, even though we act like they are so many times. So, Father, I want to confess that in my own life today. And I want to, again, submit my will to yours. And I want to give you the opportunity to continue 
to work in each of our lives in the ways that you've already planned to do. Because, Father, we are your workmanship, ordained to do good works, to show the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know every one of us intimately, would your spirit continue to speak to us? Would you continue to convict us? And would you continue to convince us of the joy and the thankfulness and the submission that must come in each of our lives when we're truly filled by your spirit? Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' authority, amen.